The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. How can you make all of the really tough decisions necessary throughout life without constantly second-guessing yourself? I mean, I'm curious how many of you have recently second-guessed yourself. You're, you're joining us online at one of our campuses, and you, you can just think of a decision you made recently where you were second-guessing yourself, or you made the decision, and then afterward you saw how it played out, and then you look back, and you're like, but what if this, and what if that, and I shouldn't have done this, and, and then you start to second-guess yourself a ton. Um, th- this comes up in our home. Uh, if, you know, I'm really determined to do something and then it doesn't quite pan out the way we, it should have and Laura will be like, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't have even done that, you know, and like uh, you know, just kind of like you can kind of get stuck in this cycle of questioning and second guessing yourself and, and so what I find is I make bad decisions when I have bad options and I make bad decisions if I have a lot of bad information, so better options create better decisions and better information Helps me make better decisions. The, the challenge is that we live in crazy times, right? Like, I was even thinking about, you know, putting a focus on kids in this, you know, in this uh, weekend. And, uh, you know, I've got my kids. And, and so, you know, how do you, say, how do you not second guess Everything you're doing with your kids, especially when it doesn't necessarily always work out the way you hoped it would. And, you know, you're trying to give your own kids direction. You're trying to give them guidance. And then what if, you know, because, I mean, I hate to tell the little secret here, but us parents, we're just making it up too. That's, kids, you didn't hear that. But we're just doing the best we can. We're kind of making up on the fly a little bit too. Uh, so how do you not second guess yourself as parents in your parenting? And, 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 you know, especially in a season where in life there's so much noise, there's so many opinions, there's so much information. And then there's not just opinions and information, but this person is trying to sell you this, this, this news is trying to tell you this and how to vote here and what to buy there and where to go here and what to let your kids do and what to not let your kids do and which opinions are appropriate and which ones are politically incorrect and you can start to get dizzy and lost and then if you start to research it you find that you have to fact check the fact checkers and so then you become cynical where you're going I don't know what I can trust right because then you got to check the sources and you then you got to check their motives their intentions, why they wrote what they wrote. It's not enough just that they've researched it. You gotta figure out what were they really trying to get at? What are they trying to sell? Follow the money, right? And suddenly, here's what happens. You get trapped in information overload and decision fatigue, and that can lead to a constant second guessing where you lose more and more confidence in the decisions you make. So then what you do is you overcompensate by just becoming impulsive, right? Because you get paralyzed over here with all the information, or you just kind of reject all of that and you just make an impulsive decision. Maybe you voted impulsively. Maybe what you recently, a big purchase, that you just made that purchase impulsively. So here's how it plays out when we're driving down the road as a family. As you can see, I have a relatively large family, and so we were on a, we were on a road trip, and we're, dri- you know, we're driving, and, and, and we're trying to figure out, okay, where are we as a family get to eat, you know, in the 
limit of all these restrictions and, um, and where they could be able to accommodate us. And so one of, you know, our kids have their phones up and they're researching what restaurants are coming up while we're driving down the highway. And then suddenly somebody has to go to the bathroom really bad. And all of a sudden, all of the research gets thrown out the window and we just swerve off the highway. Ah, we got to go to the bathroom and let's hope there's a decent restaurant somewhere. Right, And so you go from over analysis to uh, just kind of like a spontaneous knee-jerk decisions, and you can go through life this way, paralyzed by information where you're constantly questioning what you can trust and if you're making a right decision or you just make impulsive decisions, unsure of where it's going to end up. Moses this incredibly well-known leader of the nation of Israel who becomes a historically great figure in Judaism and eventually in Christianity, um, he, he was given a whole bunch of direction and the responsibility to lead an entire nation. So I've got six kids. That feels like a lot. Some of you, you're like, what? Hey, I know people with a lot more kids than us. And I'm like, I don't know how they do it. That's crazy. I don't know how, I, I, we, we saw, my wife and I, we see these families. In fact, this is kind of a joke in our home. Like, we see a family with like four or five kids, and we're like, wow, they have a lot of kids. I don't know how they do it. And then we all look around at each other, and we're like, I don't know. We don't know how we do it either. Um, here's the thing. Uh, Moses was responsible for an entire nation, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, and God is giving him guidance, so that's good, um, but he's really struggling with whether or not he can make the right decisions, and so God is giving him instruction, and then God encourages him. So we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 19, and this is the word that God gives Moses in order for him to have confidence that he can lead the nation of Israel well. God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. So let me give a little context. Here, Moses is born during a time of national infanticide where the Egyptians are killing all of the baby, newborn babies of the Hebrew people. They're, they're also slaves in Egypt, and God chooses Moses out of all the babies being wiped out. He's spared to become the deliverer of the nation of Israel. And so if you fast forward to Moses' adult life, he tries to take matters into his own hands. He murders a man, and then he has to run for his life because they're after him. Forty years later, God reveals himself to Moses through a burning bush that is on fire but does not burn up. And God speaks to Moses and says, okay, now it's time, and I've called you to go back to Egypt and then to deliver my people from slavery. And so Moses goes back, and through signs and wonders, God uses Moses to deliver the people out of Egyptian slavery. God leads them. Uh, he makes a highway through a sea, and he divides the waters, and, and Moses and the people of Israel walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. They get to the other side, and now God begins to speak to Moses about how to lead the people, but Moses is going to get himself in a spot where he's going to keep second-guessing every decision he has to make unless there is something in his life that can give him confidence and clear direction at the speed of life. And so God speaks to Moses, gives him this direction. And, and here's a couple things that I really want to pull out to you quickly. God says, 
I've carried you on eagle's wings. I'm the one. I've chosen you. I love you. I've rescued you out of slavery. Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all of the people on earth, it will be obvious that you are my treasured possession. God wants you to be his treasured possession. He wants to lead you similar to the way he led the nation of Israel. He went back, God wants to carry you on eagle's wings, but there's gonna be two complementary steps necessary for you to know and live as God's treasured possession and be led on eagle's wings. And that is that you've gotta obey God's obey God fully and keep his covenant. And so what is this covenant? Well, during this season, as God is speaking to Moses, God actually gives Moses all of the laws that we read in the Old Testament of the Bible. In fact, eventually Moses is going to go on and he's going to write the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, known as the Pentateuch. And, and so Moses is this great author, giving the words of God to the people. And so the key here, what God is speaking to Moses and what Moses is supposed to speak to the people so that they don't have to constantly live second-guessing themselves in every decision is that God not only gives him gives them his word, but then he challenges them to live it every day. And so my challenge to you is don't just read the Bible, live it. In fact, can I encourage you to maybe take a screenshot of this or write this down, maybe make a key note of this. I don't just want you to read the Bible, I want you to live it. If you wanna, if you wanna be the kind of person that is carried on eagle's wings, if you wanna be the kind of person that you know that you are a treasured possession of God, then you don't just read the Bible, you live it on a daily basis. Now, I, I started out by talking about this idea of second guessing yourself, and so, you know, where does this come from? Why do we constantly second guess ourselves? Well, because we've made decisions that didn't work out real well. We've done things where we've learned to not trust every decision we make. We've, we've made commitments that we couldn't keep. We, we followed our instinct and it got us into trouble. We have desires inside of us, and we, we believe that that desire would actually work out for our good, but it didn't. You pursued the desire, and then it got you into worse trouble. It felt good to let out your anger, and then it destroyed a relationship. It, it felt good to give in to that addiction for a moment, or that one-night relationship, we won't call it that, uh, that one-night stand, it felt good for a moment, but then it got you into trouble because you've learned that you can't really trust your feelings, you can't trust your desires, you can't trust your sense of direction because it seems like no matter what we want, it always gets us into trouble, why? Well, because you and I are instinctively corrupted at our core. We, we want we wanna go in the right direction, but we don't go in right directions, you know why? Because what's corrupting us is a spiritual sickness. You and I were born with an instinct to go in the opposite direction of God. This instinct is called sin. It's a spiritual corruption at the deepest core part of who you and I are. It corrupts our thinking, it corrupts our decisions, it corrupts our desires, and as a result, we have good reason to second guess 
our instincts, to second guess our desires, to second guess our decisions, because at the core we are corrupted by sin. Sin pushes us away from God and toward doing what we want, which gets us into trouble, but it doesn't just get us into trouble, right? It wrecks our life, it hurts others, and it leads to a forever judgment. The consequence of this spiritual sickness called sin is a forever judgment far away from God. God spoke to Moses and he said this, I want, I want you to be my treasured possession. He goes, if you will obey me fully and you will keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession. There's going to be something unique and different about you. And then God gives them instructions. And then he says, okay, you, in order for you to follow my instructions, here's what you've got to do. And so we're going to jump ahead. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Consecrate them means to set them apart. Uh, not just a ceremony, but them recognizing that they've got to become something different than they are right now. You've got to set them apart. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. It's this, I would almost call it strange command that God gives Moses. He says, in order for the people to even hear my word and obey my word, you've got to consecrate them and then they need to wash themselves. Like they got to take a couple baths. Now they're out in a desert, probably not a bad idea anyway. But here, here's the deal. What was really going on was God was helping them understand that they were filthy. There was something dirty about them. There was something common to the point where they couldn't even obey God's word unless they were washed. It, it, now, the physical washing was a sign of what God wanted to do in them spiritually, that they needed to be washed, they needed to be cleansed. And, and here's what happened. As God gave them his word, it didn't make them feel cleaner. It wasn't like as they, as they read the commands of God, they went, oh, I feel so much better now. Just the opposite. What the law did was it helped them see more and more how dirty they are. If there's no speed limit, you don't realize you're going too fast. Well, maybe you do. But the point is that when, until there's a speed limit, there's no guilt of speeding. But the moment you put the speed limit sign up, well, some of you obey it, but others of you don't. And what it does is it makes you feel bad. That's why even when you're driving the speed limit and you see a police car, you slam on your brakes. I wish you wouldn't do that, but you do, right? Because we all have like a guilty conscience because the moment we see the law enforcement, we go, oh no, I must be doing something wrong. And this is what God's word does. For those that aren't washed, what God's word, and consecrated, what God's word does, God's law, is it just reveals that we're not good enough, that we're not doing it right, that we're messing up. And so here's what God did. God saw that no matter how hard we tried, we would never on our own ever be good enough. In fact, that's what the first 39 books of the Bible tell us. It's a whole story of how people tried to do it on their own. They tried to be good enough and they tried to obey the laws of God and they constantly were discovering no matter how hard they tried, they were going to go in wrong directions. And so God has to step in. And this was his plan all along. Let me jump into, we're going to jump ahead from the life of Moses. We're going to fast forward to the time of Jesus. The author John, who is an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, captured Jesus' arrival in a poetic way. He said this, the word 
which is a Greek word logos, and it really means if you could find the perfect definition of God so that when you heard it, you fully understood who God is. He said the logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This essence of God put on human clothing. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Here's what Jesus did. The word showed up so that you wouldn't just hear the word or read the laws, but you could actually know God, the living word. And so my first challenge to you is if you want to fly on eagles, if you want to live on eagle's wings and you want to be the treasured possession of God, if you want to have the confidence that you don't have to constantly second guess every decision you're making, then the key here as you read this verse of a God who became the living word, made his dwelling among us, we know him as grace and truth. The key here is this, that we have followed Jesus as the living word. We follow Jesus, the living word. See, here's what Jesus did. He, he didn't just send more laws. He didn't just give more commands. He didn't just show up to give you orders. God became man so that he could reveal God to men. So that we wouldn't just have a Bible to follow and a rule book to obey, but that we would know God. In fact, what we truly discovered when we, when we read the Bible is that the whole story of the Bible actually is pointing to Jesus. The goal is that you know Jesus. See, every moment, even if you go back to the story of Moses, Moses, every verse of every chapter of every book of the Bible is pointing you to the person of Jesus, to God who became a man, so that you wouldn't just have to read words, so that you could know God and love God. Well, how is this possible? Well, when Jesus came to earth, his mission was not just to teach. He wasn't just to introduce us to God. It was to pay the penalty for our washing, that we were dirty, and we were not set apart for God. And so Jesus came and he took on all of our dirt and all of our filth, all of that sin that is corrupting us. Jesus put it on himself and he died in our place. He absorbed our eternal death sentence so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith, it's as if your heart is getting washed. It's as if you were chosen from all of the mess and the trash and the junk of life. God reaches in and he picks you out and he sets you apart and he consecrates you through faith in Jesus Christ. So you are consecrated and you are washed when you believe in Jesus by faith. He cleanses you of sin and shame and guilt. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead and in his resurrection, he freed us from the grip of sin and the grip of death because he puts inside of us his eternal life. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're washed you're set apart, you're consecrated, and you're given a new life. Now, before you go on just trying to not second-guess yourself or get direction from God or even live the Bible, it won't make any sense to try to live the Bible unless you have Jesus, the living word, inside of you. And so... If you've not said yes to Jesus before, or maybe you've, you've done church or you've done religion, but you've not truly followed Jesus, can I encourage you, would you make that commitment right now? Would you say yes to Jesus? And if you're making that commitment, would you let us know? Simply text the name Jesus 
to 41411. And the reason is because we want to encourage you as you begin this new journey, this step of faith into following Jesus, the living word. Now, I want to, I want to make sure you don't miss this. I said that every verse in the entire Bible points to Jesus. I want to challenge you. There's, when you read the Bible, the goal is to know God more. And when you read the Bible, what you're doing is you're discovering more of who God is. is. Is the Bible a book of rules? Well, it does have rules in it, but it's not primarily a book about rules. It, it, it's a story with heroes and amazing people, but they're, all, they're not very heroic most of the time. No, the story of the Bible is not about you, and it is not about Abraham or Moses or David or Paul. It is not about rules. It's about God. And the story of the Bible, every moment throughout his sacred history is pointing you to Jesus. And so make sure that when you read the Bible, you're reading it to discover more of who Jesus is, the person, the God, Jesus. And as you begin to know Jesus more, you begin to follow Jesus, the living word, whose spirit lives inside of you when you believe in him by faith. And so here, here's the challenge. Some people, they read the Bible like a rule book, and it becomes an idol to them. Be very careful, but very clear. You can actually make an idol out of the Bible if you worship the Bible rather than the Jesus that the Bible points you toward. It can become religion to you if you're reading it for rules and not for relationship with Jesus. And so don't make an idol out of the Bible. Don't study it for the rules. Don't study it for the religion. Read the Bible to know God more, to discover more of who Jesus is. And remember, every verse in the Bible is pointing you to Jesus. All right, so now now, as you follow Jesus, the living word, where do you go from here? Well, let's jump back into Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, where he says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Well, let's just pause it. What God's saying is you got to obey it, but you got to keep his covenant. The covenant is this description. It's the, all, of that, all that God had given them in writing in order to maintain and keep this love relationship with God. Now, let's jump further ahead where God finishes giving Moses all the commands, and he wraps it up with this. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And the key here was that Moses came down the mountain with the written word of God, where God had revealed himself through these commands and this written word. And there is an important part to trusting God's written word. In fact, can I encourage you to write this down, take a screenshot, make a note of this, that you, if you want to not second guess yourself, begin to trust God's written word. One of the things you discover as we were reading God's revelation to Moses is that God spoke a few key things. He said that I will do this for you. So he's saying it's relevant in your life. My word is reliable and I do what's good and right. I'm righteous. So God is righteous. His word is reliable and his word is relevant in your life. God is good. He wants your best. God's commands and God's word are good for you, and they direct you in a good path. But you and I have to trust God's written word. One of the things you find from the very beginning of time was that the enemy of our soul got with Adam and Eve and tried to confuse them, confuse Eve, from trusting God's word. 
And this has been the same lie and the same tactic from that point, where it, it tries to get you to question whether you can trust God's word. So you and I have to determine that we're going to trust God's written word. Now, let me give you a little context as to why, personally, I trust God's word and maybe why you should, too. Too many of us, we just read the Bible and we just call it the Bible. What you might not realize is that the Bible is actually made up of two volumes called the Old Testament and the New Testament, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, written over a span of about 1,500 years by over 40 different authors. And we have over 5,000 original uh, or, or, or copies of the original manuscripts, which is more manuscripts than any other document in all of history. There's not any document that comes anywhere close to it. And if you put all of those books together in this one sacred writing called the Bible, you will discover that there is no serious contradictions. There may be some grammatical errors, but no contradictions. It tells one story. It, it, it includes the stories of kings and paupers, of farmers and prostitutes, of poets and warriors. It's a, it's a story and it tells you where we came from, who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. Now, a story like that would probably be a bestseller, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be. And it has been. Since it was originally printed on the Gutenberg Press, the, it was the first book ever printed on the printing press. One of the first books ever translated from one language to another language, but today it has now been translated into 2,454 different languages. And individuals who've been translating those throughout history, many of the early ones who were translating the Bible from its original language into a language that people could understand, they were put to death for making the Bible accessible. They gave their lives so that you would have access to the Word of God. And so when I get a hold of my Bible, I don't just read it casually. I read it recognizing that God put His Word in over 40 different authors' mouths to guide me into knowing Him. Now listen to me. When you read it, uh, there, there's a letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God. And, and the word inspired by God, it literally is this Greek word, which is, uh, it's made up of two words. God breath, theonoustos. It means that the, the Bible is the very breath of God. You can trust God to guide you through his word, which means you don't just read it casually. You read it on a daily basis. Read it from, uh, don't just read your favorite parts like the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs or the book of John. No, you make it your mission to read through the entire Bible because as you read it, you're discovering more of God and more of who Jesus is and more of how God wants to guide you into your future. Now, let's not stop there because some of you, you've spent a lot of time reading the Bible, but you haven't worked nearly as hard to live the Bible. And so let me jump back into Exodus chapter 19, verse five. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. God doesn't say, now, if you read my Bible every day and you memorize a few of your favorite verses, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. No, here's what the people did. Then the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. Now they didn't and they couldn't. And God knew that, which is why he planned from 
before that moment to already send his son Jesus to rescue us and wash us so that then we would begin to apply God's written word. Parents, you want a manual for how to raise your children? Apply God's written word. You own a company and you want a, you want a manual that's better than a, an MBA, better than a book specific to your industry? Apply God's written word. You're in a relationship and you're struggling with how to make the right decision or how to handle this relationship in a healthy way. Apply God's written word, which means you got to spend time reading God's word, but then not just reading it, actually doing it. Our challenge as American Christians is that our knowledge of the Bible far exceeds our obedience of the Bible. See, we're, we're, we have information overload, but we're anemic in obedience. We're, we're, we know and we read, but we don't do. And, and I'm not saying this to be hard on you. I am challenging you that when you read the Bible, read it to do it. Read it to live it. Which means maybe you need to read less and live more. Maybe you spend more, less time studying and reading and, and memorizing and put, spend more time putting God's word into action. See, it is not the knowledge of the word of God or the memorizing of the word of God. It is not studying the word of God that transforms your life. It's the application. It's the doing of the word of God. Now, is reading it good? Yes. Is memorizing good? Yes. Is studying good? Yes. But all of that is insufficient to applying God's word. See, if you read, all, what you're going to get is information. But when you apply it, you experience a transformation. And so you need to begin through faith in Jesus Christ that God's spirit lives in your spirit. He's guiding you into truth. Then as you trust God's written word and you begin to apply God's written word, then you don't have to go through every day second guessing every step and every decision you make. If you're making a wrong decision, God's spirit will convict you and he'll reveal to you the right things through his word. You're unclear about how to interpret this season that we're living in as a nation. Spend more time reading God's word and applying God's word. You're confused in a relationship. You're confused about your career path. Spend more time reading God's word and applying God's word. Now I wanna, I wanna land this. I wanna pray over you. But my challenge to you is that you would you would not only trust God's word, but that you begin to apply it. You would, you would say, God, I, I need to follow you. I need, I need confidence in the direction that I'm living. I need guidance for my life. And I know that that's going to come as I, as I read and obey your word. Because I have the living word, Jesus, living inside of me. So I want to pray over you right now. And as I pray, would you make it a commitment to live the Bible? Live it. Don't just read it. Don't just study it. Don't just memorize it. Yes, do those things. But make it a commitment right now that you're going to live this out. Jesus, thank you. You could have abandoned us. You could have left us alone, lost, dirty, filthy, feeling filthy. But you came to wash us, to cleanse us. And God, there are some individuals that are part of LifeHouse or connected with us right now this weekend and they need your spirit to come and wash them, cleanse them, forgive them, make them whole. 
now God, every one of us need to make a commitment to you. God, that we're not just gonna study the Bible, but we're gonna live it because we wanna know you more. Jesus, we wanna follow you more and we wanna just be more like you. So God, I pray right now over every one of us that we would feel this deep conviction, this responsibility to get a hold of the Bible, spend time reading, and then spend time living it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.